This podcast is part of the Podcast Arcade Network. Welcome to a new episode of Paranormal Dads. I'm your co-host, Pat. I'm Eddie. And I'm Andy. Join us as we go in search of the world's monsters, myths, and mysteries right here on Paranormal Dads. Eddie is playing with a monster truck, ladies and gentlemen. Pat gave Back in the saddle Back again. Anyway, you hit a new octave there. I know, right? That's a new chord. And we're back on Paranormal Dads. I'm looking across the table at a new guy. Yeah, it's been a while. Oh, man, I missed you, buddy. But it's good to be back. Yeah. Things get really paranormal when Pat's not around because me and Eddie on tech support doesn't go so well. We were reduced to Campbell's soup cans and string. But the thing is, you got two episodes out while I was gone. So thank, thanks for that. Thanks for, you know, keeping the the truck going down the road. The paranormal flames are burning. The paranormal bus is still trucking. <laughs> well, yeah. meanwhile, Pat's been busy because he just uh, moved out of one house, moved into a brand spanking new house. How are the vibes, Pat? Do we need to do a cleansing or a paranormal uh, intervention yet? Uh, not yet. It's okay. it's been pretty good. It's actually. Um, Almost kind of, I call it my country house. So it's kind of, it, it's out on the west edge of the city. And so we've got a, a line of trees behind our house that we often see deer walking around through there. And it's, it's a pretty tall line of trees. So we, we can't even really see our neighbors behind us. Yeah. You, to the naked eye, you would, you know, kind of see a little person, but to see any kind of detail, you'd need binoculars or something like that. So it's it's nice in that sense that it's very private. Um, it's very quiet back there. You hear frogs. There's a little creek running through there. Oh. And I'm seeing deer. And where there's deer, I, I told my niece this, there's Bigfoot. So yeah. I could, you know, I'm not saying Bigfoot's in my backyard, but but Bigfoot's in my backyard. Yes! And so, where there's Bigfoot's, there's dogmen. So and, you got a whole thing. And you know what? With that privacy, you know, maybe there's a naked Pat Plyus laying in a hammock back there. Who's going to see you? <laughs> Who's to say that's not <laughs> Who's happening? Who's to see it? Maybe that's a thing. Uh, you're closer to two rivers almost now, aren't you? I am. Yeah. Yeah, I'm out, out that neck of the woods, uh, west western Omaha. Yep. That's where we were camping last weekend. Oh, and So okay. I remember you saying that, and I'm like, I'm I'm in Plyce country out here. That's where <laughs> I'm at. I can see it in the air. And yeah, you're not kidding. Like, it is is very like just peaceful and yeah. quiet and treed and very yeah. you're near the river too right you're near like the uh there's a little creek that runs through kind of the the property behind us mm-hmm. uh it's called the blue sage creek so um but you're, uh, you're in the country now it's not a creek it's a creek oh creek. exactly go. yes yeah. you gotta, you gotta catch but fish. uh even even you know i'm like four miles away from where i used to live and even the birds you see are different it's mm-hmm. it's kind of weird you know yeah. so it's 
it's what a difference four miles makes. You know? Yeah. Well, four miles away from a like a system like that, because I mean, you are like, yeah. There's like, I mean, there's a those Nebraska those cranes, those sandhill yeah. cranes. Yeah, are I see cranes out. flying all, all the time. Yeah, the, those aren't flying around by where you no. used to live. No. So yeah, no, it's a it's a cr- great place and perfect for looking for UFOs. And one of my first nights in the house after I got a television installed which took about a week or so before Ooh, I got around to doing that. No TV. You were in the country. I, I watched the new Jurassic World movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and ever since then, I go out onto our deck, kind of overlooking the trees behind the house, and I'm thinking, there's a velociraptor out there. Yeah. And he's staring at me. And before I know it, I'm going to look to my left. There's going to be nothing there. I'm going to look to my right, and I'm going to be nose-to-nose with a velociraptor. Clever girls. <laughs> Clever girls. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a change, but it's a good change, and we're excited well, and about it. And you're ready for that too. Like I, for a for a while, a short while, lived in a kind of a similar. It was kind of in the city, but it was the, the Greenfield House, right? But it had a great backyard. You did have a great backyard oh, gosh, there, yeah. With that creek, very and all the, woody area yeah. back there. And if you weren't paying attention, like you said, you couldn't see the houses on the other side. You went out there, and it was just like owls, and yeah. like you were like, this is like a whole different world, yeah. And, and yeah, you get kind of like excited because you start seeing foxes, and I never saw a deer, so no bigfoots yeah. in my yard. Darn it! Well, we always joked it almost looked seemed like you could see a garden gnome or a fairy if you looked out into your woods back there. Oh, it was house. very yeah. cool. But yeah, that, there's something about being near all that kind of raw stuff. This is kind of nice. Nature, for your spirit, yeah, it's, yeah, it is. It's very good for you. Yeah, this is when you like get all old man at your kids and be like, nobody <laughs> disturb my hummingbird feeder. God dang it! I want to reach that age yet. Yeah, I think I think we're there now. I think I think we are. Yeah, absolutely. I well, got I have a little bit of uh, sanctuary in my backyard. Kind of similar deal. There's neighbors back there, but there's enough trees and enough space you can't really see them too well. And uh, one day we actually had a fox jump the fence. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got a little video to show my daughter Sky. We had a fox jump right over my wooden fence and hang out in my mulch for a little bit. And that was that was pretty cool. You got <laughs> oh, hawks, you, got... you have owls, and yeah, it's yeah. so fun. But it's anyway, so fun. Uh, we're not here to talk about uh, you know bird sightings or naked pats in a hammock. We Real are estate. here. <laughs> we're talking about Stranger Things. Ooh, <laughs> and coming up as always, our first segment is recent sightings, and I believe Mr. Fossler is on deck for this one. I'm up. I got something hot and recent. You stay tuned. You may have heard the phrase, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, in this case, that doesn't apply to UFO sightings. <laughs> yes. Uh, as soon as last week, the date of this recording is what, June 17th? So about a week, maybe a week and a few days ago, uh, seen by not one, not two, not three, but half a dozen people through their ring cams. Pat's nodding. I think you yeah, may have I've, seen this. I've heard of this. Through their uh, doorbell video cameras, which, by the way, we're living in the new age now. You can't just be having UFO sightings and not have someone's doorbell camera pick it up. What looks to be either a UFO crash or, in some cases, some people pointed out, could be a meteor. But either way, it's like something coming from space. It's li- it's not, you know, you know, in a controlled descent, and it's super bright. And honestly, for a meteor of that size to come down to be that bright, I mean, like like we've seen shooting stars before, they tend to burn up before they even get that low. This thing was still pretty darn bright, like at house level, as it was coming down. And it's like, that's got to be a pretty big meteor hitting the ground if it's not going to cause any sort of like impact or damage or anything. But they see this 
object coming down and it's caught on several home uh, ring cameras and two police officers body cameras picked up this thing falling from the sky not minutes later people are calling in 911 that something had landed in their neighborhood and one person called and said it landed in my backyard so um, how far are you into this is this all this confirmation of what you already know Pat? yeah yeah so so far um okay Go ahead. Well, well, okay. This, this okay. is all new to me, though, because we were. You guys texted this article, and I was in the middle of something. I didn't actually read it. So it landed in the person's yard. What did it look like? Was it an actual craft, or what are we talking here? Can we go with this? Well, I didn't catch the landing part, but what I did catch was somebody called nine one one and mm-hmm. reported an eight about an eight foot tall uh, humanoid looking figure in their backyard. Yeah, two of them. Two or two of them. Yeah. And so they actually have video, I think, of it, didn't they, or a so picture? There's or? some debate. I haven't seen any pictures or video, but the people who have called and reported the two figures refuse to release the video. Oh, okay. That's what my so last. I saw a picture mm-hmm. of you know what kind of looked like an alien type entity. Okay. Uh, very skinny, very tall, but. It could have just been like you know, yeah, someone, B, you know, some magazine's B-roll kind of a thing where they just stuck a picture of an alien, in, right? You know, to co- cover the article. Yeah, but uh, so I don't know if it it was from that, but I did listen to the nine one one call, and the person was just you know terrified, and they're like, you know, I'm not kidding. There's you know, there's yeah. you know, I'm totally serious. <laughs> there's something out in my backyard, and I don't know what it is. Yeah. So the person it, it looks called, alien or something. You the, know? the person who called said it's in my backyard. And what it is, is it looks blurry, like not my eyes, but like, I'll look, everything is fine. The spot where it landed is blurry, like almost like it's cloaked and then not blurry again. So like, you know, normal trees and the fence were in full focus Mm -hmm. from the perspective of his eyeballs. But this, but the creatures were, yeah, almost like the the craft, if you will, almost like what the predator in the predator movie was like, uh, translucent almost yeah almost kind of phased looking like you you could see the outline of what it was so he was describing the caller was describing like i see what looks like uh, a fuzzy shape in my backyard and some people went as far as to go look there's an actual like like egg-shaped like dent in their yard (laughs) egg-shaped egg-shaped sounds like mark from work it's mark nanu (laughs) nanu y'all um but no uh some people who are very you know this is good you want you want this some people who are very like wanting to kind of dig into it, that shape was in their backyard for months before this phone call. So they're like, well, probably not an indentation of a ship in your yard. But uh, the people who called were adamant. There's something back here. It's moving around. And yeah, I didn't know about the pictures. I know that I'd heard they have a video, but they don't want to release it. That's uh, apparently, a couple of the police officers that witnessed the the crash that you guys were talking about earlier also responded to the the sighting of the creature or the humanoid or the alien or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't know whatever came of it. You know, it was one of those short articles where yeah. they they kind of, uh, they had the picture and then the 911 call and mm-hmm. maybe the picture yeah. wasn't part of that. But uh, so they never really closed the story for you. You know, yeah. you don't know what the final assessment was once... Law enforcement showed up. Right. So but, what? Why are they sitting on the video and not releasing it? Is it kind of a deal of give me a million dollars and we'll give it to CNN or Fox News or ABC or something like this? Or I don't know all the specifics. Uh, um, George Knapp, 
who is part of the uh, Weaponized podcast, and he's also been very much plugged in. I mean, he's instrumental in a lot of this Area 51. And he's um, right out there in Vegas. Uh-huh. He's a newscaster in Vegas. I mean, and where he works, they kind of let him just run with these stories. Like, he's just... Yeah. And he did a deep investigative dive into this uh, story and uh, had come up with kind of what you were saying was, here's what the evidence for this is. Here's what the evidence is against it. And no real explanation yet on the video being released. So one would say either A, they're trying to get paid, or B, there might not be a video even. But... One of the things they pointed out was that some people in the neighborhood pointed uh, had reported a man in black type figure was kind of all over the place in the neighborhood shortly <laughs> after this. And then some police officer comes forward and says, yeah, that was me. I was canvassing the neighborhood to see if I could find any like evidence. And I'm like, this all seems very like quick, cover this up, give it any explanation we can. Let's quick, like add some rational stuff to this versus like, we know, like, like I said, our government. And then this is right on the heels of the, and I forget the guy's name, the, the whistleblower guy that just came out. He's doing this whole news tour. Is it oh, Jeremy Corbell? No, he's Jeremy Corbell's that, uh, the, the filmmaker guy. This guy works for the, not even the CIA. He worked for a, a group whose job it is. Oh, I'm going to, this is where yeah, you might want to. I, I can't think of his name. I, I looked at that video, the ring doorbell video mm-hmm. of it. It does look a lot like a meteor coming down or a comet or, or something like How that. How many seconds I guess is it visibly descending? How many seconds? It was pretty quick. Yeah. It was pretty quick. I mean, if you have and it seems enough... like it was kind of breaking up. There, there were like, I saw two two objects coming down. Like a, there was a big bright one and a, and a smaller one just off to its side. But it wasn't taking any kind of a erratic, um, you know, it wasn't like trying to level off or, or take go in any uh, change in direction. It was just a, pretty much a straight shot down from yeah. what I saw. Uh, his name is David Grush. A former Pentagon official who claims the United States has been hiding evidence of alien technology. And he has come forward, and this guy's legit. Like, I held off I heard for this a bit. was coming out, and I haven't gotten this story yet. So, David Grush, this is a two, this is a, two, a one two for your, for your money, everybody, for your recent sightings. David Grush has been doing this like whirlwind media tour, and this is like the one. Not the one, but one of the main people you would have come out and be a whistleblower. This is the guy. There's no one pushing back on his credentials. No one's saying anything like, yeah, he doesn't really you know, work in this. No, he has an, he has an actual letter from the, uh, from, I want to say the, the Pentagon, literally saying, we give you permission to talk about this stuff. He cannot show video. He cannot show photos. But he's sitting on a gold mine of evidence? Yes, is he planning on releasing it eventually? That I don't know, but he is going on a, like I said, a whirlwind tour saying that the United States has, has, has had for decades and decades um, crashed UFO that they have, that we have backward engineered and created our own technology from this found technology. He's gone forward to say we have bodies of these beings uh, and that some of these craft that we have are as big as football fields. Holy smokes. Yeah. I was listening to another podcast lately that I think was uh, referencing the same the same guy. But yeah, they were talking about we you know, the US government tends to snag one every every five years or so. Uh, either 
one that we capture, one that has crashed, or one that landed and was abandoned by its alien occupants, mm-hmm. which I think is rather funny. You know, they step away to go to the store, and it, when they come back, it's stripped for parts. And yeah. so, you know what I mean? Up on cinder blocks. Um, um, but this could be this could be the disclosure. Eddie. Yeah, that's what you're saying. Yes, this could be. These are some of the claims they, they said he's recently releasing. He's doing like a strategic release on information. And the stuff he's come out with in his recent interviews. And this is where this guy has been vetted a lot. So there's really, at this point, like, it's either all a hoax or this is real. This is kind of where this is at. Um, stuff he's released has been these uh, the UFOs could be from an, another dimension. Saying that a lot of these have evidence of not being from a faraway place, but from here. But in a, in a different literal time and space. Uh, or time. Uh Sorry, go ahead, Andy. Oh, I was just going to say this almost reminds me of the Randlesham Forest case, where yeah. the this you know this triangular shaped craft landed. It had alien hieroglyphics. The guy went up and touched it. He had all, a download of information. And we've talked about this on past shows, but the the colonel or the general, the sergeant, the guy who touched it and saw these hieroglyphics, the feeling that he got, the download that he got was not that it was an alien craft, but that it was us from the future or us in a different timeline. Yeah. So it almost this almost reminds me of that in a, in a way. Yeah. Uh, another one, uh, this is for uh, just for anyone out there who may be Catholic, uh, just heads up, uh, the Vatican was in on a UFO cover-up, he's claiming. Uh, there may be massive crafts. He did say that they have football field-sized craft. Uh, a private contractor is currently storing a UFO. Um, the UFOs have gotten aggressive at times. Um, people have been killed to protect this secret. And that's a few of the little little things that he's released on this. But uh, is there any... Marilyn Monroe. There you go. She knew. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. Is that what she said? Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, um, is there any hard like date on when he plans on releasing this? Or is that still up in the air? He's releasing data as we speak. Okay. He's just doing it more in the framework of telling the story. Uh, as far as any sort of video and photos, from what I understand, he is forbidden on providing that. But what he's relying on is his stories, like his what he's relaying, and his credentials. And they're like, his credentials are impeccable. Like, he, he currently is working for this thing and has been given permission, if you will, to, to, to do this. Well, maybe it's going to be a like a Bob Lazar-type situation. For anybody listening who's not familiar with that name, Bob Lazar claimed to work at a very super top-secret part of Area 51, reverse engineering uh, craft, uh, alien t- spacecraft, and he went public with what he knew uh, with kind of the thought of, well, if anything happens to me, I want everybody to know my story, and if anything happens to me, no, it was the government that, yeah. that hushed me. So if this guy goes public and goes against the, the government's you know order, don't release the pictures and videos, if he does... And then he mysteriously disappears. It's, I mean, the, the, it's going to be a mutiny. Everyone's going to rise up against the government saying, okay, what are you hiding? Yeah. Right? I mean, there's a lot of um, potential things that could come out of this. And so, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think that this is maybe the beginnings of full disclosure. Um, the dimensional thing could be hard for us. Because yeah. it's like, if it's in another dimension, like, how do we, like, get there? Do we want to get there? What does that mean? I mean, there's a lot... It's it's almost easier in my mind if it's from a whole different planet somewhere, right. you know. But anyway, so yeah, the the, the Vegas and David Grush, uh, all the Vegas UFO uh, sightings, it does look very meteor like in some ways. Yeah. Um, and then David Grush coming through and dropping some bombs. 
uh, for uh, UFO stuff. It's a very exciting time. I never thought I'd be alive to see the government admitting that the UFOs were real and uh, all that stuff. So stay tuned. Can I put a cherry on this real quick, Eddie? Yeah. Delicious little cherry on Go top of this it. dessert no, you've laid out for us. <laughs> Listen, dessert first in this in this <laughs> setup here. Well, and this isn't my recent sighting, but it is extremely recent. Within the past week, my sister was out near Zarinsky Lake, which is right near Pat's my, old house. My, my old house. And yep. she was there, and this was right before it was starting to get dark. So mm-hmm. we're probably talking, you know, 8.45, 9 o'clock. There was uh, what looked to be a star in the sky. She assumed it was the first star, you know, visible of the night. It was the size of a star, the shape of a star. Did she uh, make a wish on it? Yeah, she made a wish on it. <laughs> wish that the government would tell us what they know. Dear star, I wish the government would tell me secrets. <laughs> Amen. But it was about as bright as a star, too. And she yeah. kept watching it. It got fully dark, and this thing started to move. It started to do circles. It started to do figure eights. It, she said it was very smooth. It was It was moving in half circles and then hovering for several minutes and then moving again. And she said she felt euphoric watching it. No fear. Now, granted, my sister is terrified of aliens and UFOs, mm-hmm. but she's watching this, and she felt like the most loving, calm, almost like uh, hypnotic almost. She just she felt so peaceful watching this for two hours. Oh, wow. She watched it for so long, it never did disappear. She had somewhere else to be. She couldn't She couldn't hang around any, anymore, so she eventually left. But she said she could see airplanes and, and other, you know, identifiable objects in the distance that were actually moving slower than this craft was. Yeah. So, which that means is this craft was further away, and it was moving faster than the planes. So, if it's further away, and it appears to the naked eye to move faster than a plane... This thing was cooking, man. Yeah. This thing was moving. We can only speculate thousands upon thousands of miles yeah. an hour. Yeah. Stopping on a dime, which we don't have anything that can do that. Nope. Nope. And and that notion of do, like doing shapes yeah. like that, like just willy nilly. Yeah. 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 Distance distance plus size. Like if you see it and it's that far away and it moves an inch in your eye, that's it's miles. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles for it to do that. It's like it's crazy. You got to take into consideration the the impact aerobatics have on the human body if you're doing yeah all kinds of crazy figure eights and pulling a bunch of g's yeah well like, know, the human body will only take so much i'm gonna go from lincoln to omaha in two seconds and stop suddenly like it's not <laughs> it's it's not gonna work it'll liquefy your organs yeah and even if even if it's an unmanned craft the mechanisms would be ripped to smithereens nuts and bolts all over they oh, would yeah. disintegrate yeah the human body yes and then even structural t- integrity of the thing itself it's yeah. like it just we just cannot do that and this is where a lot of people kind of come back and say, what if it's technology that, you know, was way ahead of us that we... It's like, but that's not how physics works. It's like technology, schmectology. <laughs> that sounds like a weird medical thing. Like, I'm a schmectologist. I'm going to get a schmectologist. <laughs> Could have been some kid playing with his new drone, and then he did some kind of aerobatic thing that made it fall apart. And yeah. I mean, a drone put can Put it go, into Lake Zerinsky. A drone can go 20 <laughs> feet pretty fast, but a drone can't be... 300, you know, 30,000 miles straight up and go from what looks to be six inches apart, which is in actuality probably 100 miles. It can't do that in two seconds. And even if it could, like you were saying, the materials we have, even the most high-tech carbon fiber, what were you saying, the Blackbird, one of the most advanced planes we ever had, leaks. Titanium. Yeah, it leaks fuel when it's not up to speed. Yeah. 
That's how it's designed. Yeah. So that when everything compresses, because when everything compresses, that seals it all up, and the fuel yeah. stays put. Yeah, but like it's amazing. That, but that ship going as fast that that plane going as fast as it can possibly go, are they going to just hit the brakes? You know, and then just like here, you know, forget the people. The ship's going to tear itself in half. It's like, it's it's an interesting time. I'm I'm very excited. I just hope we find out soon. Because I can't take it anymore. I know. Well, and my sister called me, and she was explaining the euphoric aspect of her recent sighting, and she wanted to know if that was normal. And I said, surprisingly, it kind of is. You Mm -hmm. know, you hear these cases where people see a... It's almost like a personal experience seeing a UFO, because you're seeing something that shouldn't exist, something that could potentially be from other places, Mm -hmm. and... Sometimes it is accompanied by an emotional feeling. And yeah. Some people feel fear, but I've spoken with even more people who feel peace and love and almost like a sense of consciousness, like this thing knows I'm looking at it. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. The the notion of it connecting to you on a spiritual, like emotional level in a weird way. And that's been a lot of the things that we've seen, too, with uh, these um, close encounters. You hear about people driven to tears over seeing having UFO encounters and things, it's not uncommon to hear. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited. And I think the same thing, I think. And maybe there's several kinds. Maybe there's kinds that are euphoric and peaceful and other kinds that will turn us into human, you know, Capri Suns. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? But I I am excited for more information. And, yeah, I'm kind of like, you know what? Let's just do this disclosure thing. Let's get some... I want to have Alien Nation. Remember that show? I want Alien Nation. I want my neighbor across the street to be from some other dimension and be like, "This is normal. This is now. <laughs> this is now my life." I want I'm Al- ready. Elf to be my next door neighbor. Exactly. Yeah. There's Zorg from Zeta Reticuli. What's yeah. up, buddy? I want Rocket the Raccoon to be my back door, like my backyard neighbor. <laughs> have his head pop over the fence. Ah, you're looking good, Blarg. All three heads looking good today, buddy. See. <laughs> How would you even begin to do a neighborhood association with aliens? Couldn't even start. <laughs> hey, more tentacles to high five. That's what I we say. love it, man. Well, thanks, Eddie, for the recent. Uh, up next, I have a little pop culture in the paranormal. We're going to shift from flying saucers to man-made monsters. Ooh. It's time for pop culture and the paranormal. Welcome, everybody, to Pop Culture and the Paranormal. So I put on my thinking cap, boys, and and I was thinking, what's pop culture? And I got to thinking books. Books are pop culture. And then Mm -hmm. I thought, what are some of the scariest books ever written? So I got an oldie but a goodie. Frankenstein. Ooh, Mary Shelley. Mary Shelley. Did you know that Mary Shelley was 18 years old when she wrote that book? No way! That's crazy. I didn't know that. How's that for talent? It's like, you know what? Some people make friends. Some people make friends. (laughs) I'm going to make my own friend. Out of dead body parts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you were 18, you were just dodging bullies, just trying to survive. And 18, I was past bullies at that point in time. But at that point, I think I was uh, busy trying to figure out new ways to drive my car off of off of loading ramps. And... <laughs> yeah. What were you doing when you were 18, Pat? Um, finishing up high school and uh, working in the record store. Oh, that see, was my Pat's thing. so cool, man. He he just has so many layers to him. Used to work in television, plays guitar. But, so many, uh, so many things people don't know about Pat. Hanging out in record stores. The Onion that is Pat plays. I, I was doing the '80s thing, watching Miami Vice and <laughs> listening to CDs were hot, spanking new. Oh man, you're like, God, oh, man, look, you play it with a laser. He's <laughs> like, you play it with a laser. Got cool. me some Richard Marks. That was the very first CD I ever bought. Was Richard Marks. 
No way. It was. Real quick, Andy. First CD you ever bought. Oh, you know what? I think it was actually Boys to Men 2. There it is. Yeah. Mine was Weird Al off the deep end. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. I would not expect anything. And there we go. <laughs> it was that. I bought two CDs, Weird Al and also Phil Collins. But seriously, it was the same. But there's pop culture all onto another uh, side tangent there. Yeah. But yeah. none of us were writing uh, you know, famous books when we were no, 18. That's no, for sure. But no. she wrote it. She was just 18 years old, and the novel was actually first published anonymously in 1818. Um, actually, the idea for Frankenstein uh, came to Mary Shelley during a trip to Lake Geneva, Switzerland, in 1816. So there, she was actually surrounded by renowned literary figures, uh, including, but not limited to, uh, her soon-to-be husband, uh, Percy Shelley, Lord Byron, and John William Pilladori. And they engaged in a competition, actually. So they like a friendly little bet to see who could write the best horror story. And and this led Mary Shelley to conceive the idea of Frankenstein, and she was uh, her writing was influenced by a lot of various sources, um, you know, including her own life experiences. She drew on scientific advancements of the time, uh, Gothic literature, and she even drew on prominent influences, you know, such as her dad William Godwin and her mother, Mary Wollstonecraft. How's that for a name? Dang. Uh, and her mom, Mary's mom, was a prominent feminist writer, Oh, which I didn't know. That was pretty cool to find out, right? Well, especially in that era. What what, what was the year again for that? I mean, we're talking 1800s. Ooh, yeah. You know? you're, not, you're not making friends back then if you're doing that kind of movement. Well, Mary Shelley came out with Frankenstein in 1818, so her mom was writing prior to that. So we're talking potentially 1700s, feminist writer. I wonder what that looked like in the 1700s. Because basically, they're just like, can we vote? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, no. 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 I mean, you're talking feathered quills and the whole nine yards. You're Seriously. signing stuff with a big old floppy feather. You got <laughs> Someone makes you mad, you challenge them to a duel. That's what, that, that's, what that's like back then. You're like, sir! I shall see you at dawn. Pistols, I say. At six paces. Um, or you take your glove off and smack somebody with it. Whap, whap. <laughs> Bugs Bunny, put a brick in it. Um, okay, but Frankenstein had an alternate title called The Modern Prometheus, and that's actually a reference to uh, Prometheus because it alludes to the Greek mythological figure who created humans from clay and suffered severe consequences, consequences for his actions. So. Yeah. Uh, but Frankenstein, the story, it explores a lot of different themes. You have the dangers of unchecked ambition. You have, you know, the responsibility of creators towards their creations. A little bit of nature versus nurture sprinkled in there. Uh, the pursuit of knowledge. And, you know, the isolation and consequences of, you know, alienating yourself as well. Mm. But it's, uh, as we know, it's it's grown into lore and legend and has, you know, cemented uh, quite a legacy after all these decades and Frankenstein is considered one of the most influential works of horror fiction and it's become an iconic part of popular culture it's been adapted into you know films and plays and other media uh, Halloween costumes I mean maybe not so much today but certainly back in the day and mm -hmm. you know in the 80s and 70s when we were growing up uh, you know you'd see kids with Frankenstein outfits wouldn't yep. you oh, oh gosh yeah. I mean oh, they yeah. I mean say they uh, pop culture took the the Frankenstein's monster concept and did like the monsters and did the um, Universal Frankenstein series yeah, I mean they own I think they own I think Universal owns yeah. the trademark of Frankenstein at this point I think I don't know that's, that's it, be... it sounds right I mean there's the Universal monster series and Frankenstein is one of those yeah 
But Mary, I mean, Mary Shelley got major props for this because at the time, you know, the gothic, the horror, the the spooky writing genre was predominantly um, dominated by males. So mm-hmm. she kind of broke the mold. Not only was she female, she was a young female and just knocked that one out of the ballpark. So it's yeah. kind of one of these things of like, you know, pun intended, but like a lightning bolt just struck her and Ooh. she just had this inspiration yeah. and it happens. I mean, you see this not just in writing, but with inventions, with technology, you know, you just have a brilliant person comes along with a brilliant idea. And before you know it, it just takes over the world. You know, uh, JK Rowling with Harry Potter Mm -hmm. became the most successful book series in the history of anything. And, you know, that kind of moment of inspiration as the legend goes, came to her on a train ride where she fell asleep and she like dreamt the whole series basically. I wonder how that was accepted back in the day when, when that first came out, you know, what was the, uh, Oh, what was the, the backlash, the the base, you know, the, the client base for this book, like who, who read this book was, was it young teens or or teenagers or was it adults? I think, I think back then too, like the target audience, things like, literature but everybody read yeah because like there was no tv yeah there was no movies really i mean there may have been like theater which once again like depending on who you were you had access to or you didn't but like books was like if you could read lord help you you were probably going to read anything you could. So, so is it like uh you know oh this is like friday the 13th was back in the 80s maybe or is it this is the devil work i know, know right i bet you both yeah you probably had a little of both yeah, yeah. <laughs> But that's how it always has been. That's how it always will be. Yep. I mean, heck, again, not to harp on Harry Potter, but even when that came out, you have certain religious, you sure. know, conservative people who said, no, this is bad. This is about witchcraft and stuff of the devil. And yet other sci-fi nerds just loved it and couldn't yeah. get oh, gosh, yeah, it. like, Harry Potter is an excellent book. For me to set on fire. And then they just, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was nuts. The whole, like, people just burning stuff. And it's like, you are, everyone's allowed to their own opinions. However, on that, it's like, you're allowed to your own opinions. Like, people are going to read things they want to read. And I know for a fact, like, pre-Victorian like era, it was massive into this notion of, like, horror, you know? Mm-hmm. And that word, like, and I think H.P. Lovecraft was in yeah. a similar Yeah, I mean, a he's essentially time. a horror author. Oh, yeah. I mean, and you read the horror of that, even Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, I think there might be some parts that kind of like elude to like some macabre type stuff, but it doesn't get like overly likely, like you said, like Friday the 13th and, you know, then the exposed guts are all over the floor. Like, I think it's a little bit more like suggestive, more Hitchcocky and where it's like they kind of allude to a thing and they just don't like give you the full on like blood spray across the screen kind of thing. And sometimes that's better. And in, in my opinion, you know, um, because when it's left to the imagination, your imagination can fill in the blanks. Right. And sometimes that's scarier than what you could have potentially read or saw anyways. Right. So, But it's a story that's withstood the test of time. I mean, you tell any kid from, you know, four to 104, they've heard of Frankenstein, you know? Yeah. So that's all I got today. Short and sweet for pop culture, boys. But uh, we have, we're, next we're going for main mystery. We're going to Africa, Pat. We're going to the dark continent of Africa. Hey everybody, Andy Myers here. You know me as one-third of the Paranormal Dads, but I'm also an author. I have several books currently available, and I'm here with some exciting news that on Tuesday, August 8th, I'm releasing a brand new book that's been in the works for about a year and a half. The book is titled Old Soul, Young Spirit. You can find it Tuesday, August 8th on Amazon. The book is primarily about past lives and reincarnation and how our past lifetimes affect us in the present in terms of our personality and our interests and our relationships and our career. 
So if you've always felt like an old soul, you know, the type of person who has a lot of creativity, empathy, intuition, leadership skills, if you're a jack of all trades and super passionate and spiritually curious, you might in fact be an old soul, which is a great thing. But navigating this strange world as an old soul is a bit tricky at times. And so my book comes with a lot of helpful tips and techniques on how to not only survive as an old soul, but to thrive. So again, purchase it on August 8th. You can't get it before that. And if you do happen to pick up a copy, thank you so much for your support. If you do, be sure to email my office a screenshot of your purchase. Uh, send that proof of purchase to Management at gmail.com. Doing so will enter you in a contest for a psychic group session that I'm giving away. Now that's valued at $450, so don't miss out on that opportunity. I hope the book's well received. If you get a copy, I hope it hits home and resonates with you. Thank you so much for your support, and thanks for listening to The Paranormal Dads. And now it's time for the main mystery. <laughs> so this week, I'm inspired by the jungle in my backyard. Nice. See, so you give Pat a couple of trees and a creek, and it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> But I thought, you know, where where haven't we talked about very much? And and one of the things that came to mind was Africa. Yeah. So you got the Congo River down in Africa, and there is a whole list of cryptids known to people in Africa that uh, we haven't explored yet. Oh, dude. I mean, So I'm just going to kind of cover a few of those. Yeah, this could... I'm crossing my fingers and toes. Please tell me we're talking about Michaeli and Bembe. Hey, that's the first one. Oh, <laughs> is that the giant snake? No, it's a, it's a brontosaurus looking. It's basically, oh! yeah. They did a movie on this, by the way. Talk about pop culture and the paranormal. What? We could, so, we, so we could back... yeah, he's kind of like a sauropod, right? Yeah. yeah. Essentially, you know, think of Jurassic okay. Park. It's the veggiesaurus. The yeah, big, like, like the brontosaurus. Big, long neck dinosaur. Like, like Littlefoot. Man before... Time, <laughs> tree stars, tree stars. So, uh, yeah, yeah, Mokeli and Bembe, Mokeli and Bembe, Mokeli and Bembe. Just call him M. We'll call him M. There's a movie about this. It's called Baby Secret of the Lost Legend. Yes, Andy, he knew what I was yes, talking about. Yes, babies. Yep, Baby, the Secret of the Lost Legend. Fun fact, Pat, the man that played uh, in the uh, Greatest American Hero. Is right. the is the is the male protagonist? This is like Land Before. This is like uh, uh, Jurassic Park before Jurassic Park. Oh, really? Yeah. So check it out. Oh, Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend. Okay, I'll have to check that one out. Um, yeah. So M is like his name means one who stops the flow of rivers. Oh. So it's a it's a big old the river big beast. Um, it's a water dwelling dwelling entity that is supposedly lives in the Congo River basin. Sometimes described as a living creature, sometimes as a spirit. So we're oh. not even sure it's blood and, you know. Blood bo- and bones. Blood and bones. So um, those who have allegedly seen the creature describe it as a large quadrupedal herbivore with smooth skin, a long neck, and a single tooth, sometimes to be said to be a horn. That's so, a cigarette-holding tooth very, right there. It's how I smoke my pie. Everybody is uh, very consistent about it that it kind of looks like a horn huh. sticking out of his 
His mouth. You couldn't or, imagine that. Yeah, he just lost his. He got a little snaggle tooth, little underbite like a bulldog. Arr, I'm Listen, a one tooth here. <laughs> I got the braces too, Michele Obembe. I, I just mispronounced that, didn't I? <laughs> M. Just, we just call him Bembe. 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 Uh, so in the early to mid 20th century, the, the entity would become the point of focus among uh, people like the, the pseudoscience of cryptozoology. And uh, there were numerous expeditions led by people going out into the Congo air basin and looking for um, this creature. Um, there was a paleontologist named Donald Prothero. Prothero? Um, he said that the quest for M is part of the effort by creationists to overthrow the theory of evolution and teaching the science by any means possible. So it was it was almost kind of a um, uh, a controversial thing back then, you know, whether this this whether it's even okay to accept this thing into the world or or believe that this thing is real. See, people crack me up, right? Because it. it... It's not for us to say, should this thing exist? We should be asking the question, does it exist? Can it exist? Like, who cares if it breaks the mold with our belief systems, right? Right. Like, who cares about the status quo? You know, I, I once saw a really cool documentary. Now, granted, this was back late 90s, maybe. It was an older documentary even back then. But it was a, a group of guys who went there to talk to some of the local tribes about Michele and Bembe, and they brought with them. And these, you know, granted, these are tribes that at the time were cut off from civilization. Mm -hmm. No TV, no radio, no technology, people who straight up live in the sticks. Right. Like some of them may, may have never even seen a white man before. But these these scientists from, from Europe arrive and they brought books that included animals from different parts of the world that people in Africa never would have seen before. Right. You know, things, uh, oh gosh, like an Arctic fox, you know, things like this that they, they would have no reference point Polar bears. Yeah. Polar like bears. That. Yeah. Right, and so they're showing them these things, and they said, "No, we don't. We don't know that animal. We've never seen that animal." Then they'd show them something that they would see all the time, like a lizard or mm -hmm. a snake, and they say, "Yes, that's blah blah blah," in their local dialect. We know that animal. Then they showed them a picture of a brontosaurus. Without skipping a beat, these people were like, "Yes, we see this all the time. That's Mokele and Bembe." Mm -hmm. But they're they're you know we think a brontosaurus, but I think a lot of the sightings they're smaller. Think of like a smaller elephant, almost mm -hmm. like the size of a baby elephant mm -hmm. with a long neck. That's kind of like size proportion. What these a lot of these people are saying that 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 they are. And some people have reported him to the size of a elephant or a hippo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like a, a but smaller, veggie, but they're veggies, veggiesaurus, huh? Veggiesaurus, yeah. Yeah, they eat leaves, tree stars. <laughs> So the first report of Michele and Bembe comes from a German captain, Ludwig, Ludwig Freiherr von Stein. Michele and Bembe is easier than that one. <laughs> von Stein was ordered to conduct a survey of German colonies in what is now Cameroon in 1913, and he heard stories of an enormous reptile called Michele and Bembe, alleged to live in the jungles, and included a description in his official report. Um, he worded his report with the utmost caution, knowing it might be seen to be unbelievable. Nonetheless, he thought the tales were credible. Trusted native guides had uh, related the tales to him, and the stories were related to him by independent sources. So he would say things like, The animal is said to be of a brownish-gray color with a smooth skin, its size is approximately that of an elephant or at least a hippopotamus. It is said to have a long, very flexible neck. Only one tooth, 
but a very long one. Some say it is a horn. A few spoke, uh, a few spoke about long muscular, a long muscular tail, like that of an alligator. Canoes coming near it are said to be doomed. The animals said to attack the vessels at once, and uh, to kill the crews, uh, but without eating their bodies. The creature is said to live in the caves that have been washed out by the river in the clay off its shores and at sharp bends. So, so it's a veg it's a vegetarian but territorial, you know, it's kind of yeah. like a bluff charge like get a, get a, get away from my river basin, right? Um and you mentioned a hippopotamus, those can be very dangerous, very territorial. People in Africa say a hippo is the most dangerous yeah. creature, and they they kill more people than mosquitoes and lions and all that thing combined. Even yeah. elephants, which are normally regarded as pretty peaceful and docile, you can come at them the wrong way at the wrong time; they'll just run you over. Like you're just sitting there. I had a house on my chest. Like you know, um, if you if you're cool, heads, real quick, I want to read to you the initial first paragraph of the plot. A baby. <laughs> Eddie's, Eddie's getting paid royalties from the filmmaking. It was a lost legend. During an expedition. It, it, by the way, Pat, it came out March 22nd, 1985. Okay. When you were like, what? 14, 15, 15 yeah. yeah. Uh, 95 minutes long for you sticklers to run times. I know some of y'all out there are like, well, our movie's three hours long now. 95 <laughs> minutes. There you go. Um, uh, during an expedition into Central Africa, paleontologist Dr. Susan Matthews Loomis and her husband George Loomis attempt to track down evidence of a local monster legend. The monster, from which the local natives refer to as Mokelia Mbembe, share many characteristics. Did I just butcher that again? No, no, you got it right on. Uh, share many characteristics with the sauropod order of dinosaurs. During the expedition, they discover Brontosaurus in the deep jungle and are, are further amazed when the animals show very little fear of them. So f fictional because they're going to get stomped on. Yeah. The couple begins observing the creatures and become especially enamored with the curious young offspring of the pair whom they nickname Baby. So they're not very creative. So you know that they're uh, left brain people. Unfortunately, the discovery soon places the dinosaurs in jeopardy from both the local military as well as fellow scientist <laughs> Dr. Eric Kievat. And I'll leave it there. Mystery ensues. Sorry. Yeah, it saying. does sound like a Jurassic Park. -ish it kind of does. Kind of and thing. there's like a lot of, you know, and then I love this tie. It's very exciting. So I'm sorry. Continue. So, um, let's see. In 2016, a travel documentary crew from South Africa. Africa made a documentary about the searching for Mokele and Bembe, which they later sold to Discovery Africa. The team spent roughly four weeks in the uh, Lukuala uh, Luku, Swamp yeah. region, visiting various uh, uh, villages, collecting stories of the creature's existence. They pointed out that the difficulty of differentiating between Mokele and Bembe's metaphysical and physical existence. While they interviewed people who believed in its presence, others stated it died at least a decade ago. Oh. So. Well, it's so, always been one yeah. of my favorites. I just, first time I ever caught wind of this, I was absolutely Mo fascinated with it. Mokele and Bembe. I just, like, this is the things that you wonder about. Like, sometimes these legends may have been real creatures. And like, we're, you know, not to turn it to Bigfoot, but a good example is like, you know, people kind of allege, well, there's a lot of them. There's more than that. There might be what they say, an estimation worldwide of 10,000 of them, something like that. And but part of my brain goes, what if 
there's only like 12 of them, you know, and then we are looking at things that will eventually die out. So it's like, that is a real possibility. What if this was a real creature that really existed? It was like somehow managed to survive up to a certain point, And now it just, you know, we just won't be able to see it anymore. Ugh. Like the Tasmanian tiger was yeah. a real thing, hunted to extinction. Now, thankfully, people are starting to see it more and more regularly, so it might might still be out there. We're very interesting creatures in that, like like you said, like they were showing off these cre- like existing animals to these uh, villagers, trying to kind of, in a weird way, like play a game. Like th- we all know this is a real thing. They wouldn't have seen it. Have you seen? I don't know what that is. You know, it's like. Someone described like back in like old England days before they had really like they had painted lions out of people's descriptions of lions and they look horrible. There's like a people face on these like look yeah. up like Renaissance paintings yeah. of lions. You'll laugh your head off. And it's because no one saw a lion. Like we could draw one poorly, but right now if you had us draw a lion, we could draw a lion. Uh, and I love it how Joe Rogan said at one point, man, if you took someone from, you know, Scotland and dropped him off in the middle of Africa, and we're like, there's a lion. They would describe a monster. They're like, it has a, it's like a cat, but it's not, and it has knives for hands, and I don't even know what to do. Like, 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 like these things are animals that we're just not exposed to. That's really, I think, really what we're dealing with in a lot of this stuff. Except the Jersey Devil. That one I'm really kind of... <laughs> yeah, the Jersey Devil's a, he's a wonky hodgepodge of spare parts. He's like, what up for me, guys? <laughs> <laughs> well, how about this one? Here's the legend of the Congo's 15-meter snake. So yes. we're, we're, we're talking a 50-foot snake. This oh. was, this was the, the photo taken from the airplane. Exactly. Yeah. Helicopter, yes. Yeah. Uh, a, a pilot by the name of Remy Van Leerde said the a 50-foot snake lurched at his helicopter while he was flying over the, uh, uh, the Congo rainforest. He's going to eat it. He's like, that's food. Um, it, let's see. He, uh, they were, and and I mean, based on how high he was, and you know, the camera lens, and was it this many millimeters? Like they they kind of pieced together the math and estimated it could have been a fifty footer, right? Yeah, that's that's what he was saying. Um, he he was a Belgian Air Force Colonel who served in World War II, and he made the claim in a nineteen in nineteen eighty during an interview with the British TV show Mysterious World hosted by renowned sci-fi writer Arthur C. Clarke. Mm. So Van Leerde claimed that in 1959 he encountered a giant greenish-brown snake while flying over the Katanga province of the Belgian-occupied Congo um, by helicopter. Uh, as an experienced pilot, Van Leerde argued that he was extremely skilled at gauging the size of things on the ground from the sky. I would say the snake... I saw was close to 50 foot, he told the program. Uh, he said the helicopter dipped down within nine meters, which is about 30 feet above the snake, at which point it raised up its head, uh, and uh, his his head would have been about uh, um, two to three feet wide. Oh! Whoa. Two oh! F- two feet, feet wide, three feet long. Uh-huh. It reared up, and he said, if I was any closer, he could have uh, taken a strike at me. Now, so. this is nightmare fuel. And for just for reference point, everybody, 50 foot is a big snake. Okay, the, the largest uh, snake species currently on planet Earth is the reticulated python, and the world record is 32 feet. 
So we're talking about something that is substantially even bigger than that. Yeah. And that almost takes you back to uh, the largest snake that ever lived on this planet, Titanoboa. Yeah, how big was that one? Oh, I'm going to look that up real quick. But Titan, I mean, this thing's approaching Titanoboa size. Well, well, this snake is saying 50 foot long, but that's because it's off its dating profile. It's really 48 and a half feet long. (laughs) That's really how long this snake really is. It's just, you know, he's just trying to, you know. So as you guys mentioned, along with its... His first-hand account, he managed to snap a photograph of the site. However, the image was taken in black and white, plus it's a little on the grainy side. Uh, I got and, a grainy. And, and you can, I mean, go ahead and Google it. It's out there. Um, I did see it. It, it. It's really hard to tell. It, it's grainy, and it, for all I can tell, it, it could be a worm sitting on the dirt you know it's right. just we really have no hard scale to, no yeah. reference yeah. right we got to cut him some slack though he's flying a helicopter he has a 50 foot titanoboa <laughs> lurching at him and he's he has a wherewithal to snap a picture and yeah. it's 1950 something so he's not yeah. holding some quick little cell phone camera no. he's holding like a thing like black powder in a pole like, hold <laughs> still probably has a cigarette in one hand <laughs> and i'm sure there wasn't a lot to the helicopter either it wasn't no. yeah like the helicopters of today i'm sure it was Probably a bubble-shaped helicopter with the open doors. Oh, yeah. Like MASH. You know, the, kind yeah, of super, exactly. the, the kind of Superman caught. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. And also hit a martini in the other hand. He's flying with his knees. Yeah! <laughs> this is the 50s. I don't care. To answer your question, Pat, Titanoboa was 50 foot long and three feet wide. Okay. So, I mean, is this a, so is this this a remnant? So this would be the same size, yeah. Leftover ancestor. I mean, here we are again in the same wheelhouse as Michele and Bembe. Is Michele and Bembe a brontosaurus that somehow survived all the these, you know, eons, and is is this snake that this guy got a photo of? Is it Titanoboa, which didn't go extinct? Yeah, know. those that idea is terrifying. And you think about these cultures. Granted, this is not in Africa, but this is in like South America. But like entire like cultures that looked at these snakes and like worshipped, like like, like made gods out of some of them. And like, oh my god! Like if I saw a fifty foot snake, I'd be like, oh, I couldn't god. live in a place with a fifty foot snake. I, no. I, snakes are not my thing. No, like Indiana Jones. Exactly. It's like <laughs> snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> But at that point, he could eat you whole. He's yeah. going to eat you whole. Uh, an adult. If you're three feet wide, you could swallow an adult whole. Like, your best bet is to run, I think, at that one. You're just going to run. I mean, you lay down there and pretend to be dead? Like, <laughs> No, I don't think. It's not a bear. That wouldn't work so well. He just, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Easy for me to slide down my gullet. Right. Um, but if he's lurching at helicopters, I'm not sure if running's going to do much good either. Run in a zigzag pattern. Push your buddy over. <laughs> You don't got to be faster than the snake. Exactly. Just faster than your buddy. So while we're talking about snakes, how about this one called the Crowing Crested Cobra? Mm. Crusted? It's a cryptid snake reported from several Central African nations, particularly Zambia, Zimbabwe, and Malawi, often compared to the mythical cockatrice. These alleged alleged snakes are distinguished by their cockerel-like vocalizations, and similarly, galline crests, and I could be saying that wrong, galline crests, or wattles. Hmm. So if you're not bird people, the crests and the wattles on a rooster, that's like the red thing on his head. Oh, yeah, it's the crest. And then the little uh, thing under his chin or whatever. Yeah, the thing that I'm getting as I get older. <laughs> <laughs> my so, waddles. My waddle. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so apparently these snakes have that. Mm. Uh, and they're large... Uh, they're called cobras, but uh, it almost sounds like they're. Um, oh, what's the other uh, 
the the mama mambas. Oh yeah yeah the yeah. Mamba snakes supposed to be extremely poisonous. Ugh. You know, you get bit by one, you're dead in half an hour. These venomous snakes just scare me so much. But they also make noises, like they vo- make vocalizations, like a, you know, a rooster crowing. Zeegaloo's hear him coming. So, cock-a-doodle-doo. Oh, look, it's a friendly rooster. Oh, no! So, um... Cobras are scary. When their little hoods pop out, you're like, oh, God! Like, that's... Yeah. Again, if you had never seen a cobra before, I'd have been like, what is this? Some alien oh, thing? Th- those things are crazy, man. <sighs> um, so it's described as a, about a 12-foot long, dark in color, and a dirty blue underbelly. Dirty's right. With red markings like that of a rooster on its head. And uh, the Arabs go so far as to say that is known to oppose the passage of caravans at times. So they're trucking down the road in their little wagons and probably carrying their food to the market or whatever. And they wander too close to his oh. tree. He's none too shall pass. Cock-a-doodle-doo, sucker. I'm going to doodle don't. I'm going to take you all out. <laughs> okay. I'll take you all out. You're all dead. <laughs> no. So, uh, so yeah, the snake dashes its head into uh, into its victims and Ooh. injects venom, and yeah, that, that, dead within minutes. That's not going to end well. That'll ruin your weekend. Yeah, if you've ever watched a snake like bite an animal bigger than it and then start to do that weird like shake as it's like pumping venom into yeah. your, I'm just like, <laughs> you're from the devil. <laughs> And what's this thing called? Is this like a mythical beast? The crowing this... crested cobra. Yeah, it, it's it's, it, it's a cryptid, so okay, it may or may not exist. Crowing but... crested cobra. Never heard of that one. Yeah, crikey, crikey, crikey. Indeed. Yeah, Hakuna Matata. <laughs> it's Congamato. Oh yeah, Congamato. Congamato. Congamato or Congamato? Congamato. Congamato. Tomato. Tomato. Yeah, Kangamato is a large pterosaur-like cryptid, so like a pterodactyl. Whoa! Oh, I've uh, heard of this too. Living in tropical and subtropical regions of Africa, particularly in Zambia, the Congo, and Angola, it resembles, um, you know, some of the traditional flying monsters. Its name name means breaker of boats or overturner of boats. And uh, as the Kangamatos are said to have capsized canoes of natives and attacked people who ventured too close to the nearby rivers. It's described as a reddish lizard with membranous wings and teeth on its beak. Its wingspan ranges anywhere from four to 100 feet of, across. <laughs> so that's, that's a pretty... Uh, that's a big range. Big range there, yeah. Size of an eagle to the size of an airplane. Yeah. When shown a picture of a pterosaur... Natives said that it was a picture of a Kangamato. The accounts told of these creatures are similar to the ones that are described uh, in Papua New Guinea. Papua. Papua. New, Papua New we were corrected on that one. We were yeah, corrected. We were. Back. We, we were. So, Thank you. Um, there are several historic reports of European explorers being attacked by large winged creatures, and quite often people are reported to have received wounds from the Kangamatos. Uh, it's thought to eat mostly fish, but occasionally humans. Ooh! Uh, the Kangamato is also said to dig up graves and steal human corpses. Oh, that's personal so now. So it's kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, it's 
kind of like a uh, like a condor kind of you know going say, after the dead yeah dead like, creatures. I want that. Just it, dig them up. It's funny. The Congo motto is like I totally eat fish. I'm a pescatarian, <laughs> except occasionally a human now and then. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> and I hate boats. <laughs> and then if, if if I fly by a cemetery, I can't help myself. I gotta fly down and just dig it all up and eat the <laughs> eat the corpses out. <laughs> Congo motto. You're weird. <laughs> Man, that's a try. So yeah, there's there's weirdness in Africa. Four right there. Yeah. Like, you just like like powerhouse. Boom, boom, boom. Four cryptids right now in in Africa. We could go one place find them. Well, Africa's pretty big though. And there's actually more. I mean, oh, yeah. we're just kind of scratching the surface there. But uh... yeah, we should we should really do a deep dive. Maybe one episode. Maybe for our hundredth, we could do our top hundred cryptids or something like we, that. We, we did the Alaskan expedition. We could do an African safari and then just go nuts on our next four episodes. Or something. <laughs> I mean, it's the biggest continent and it's got the little the least recognition. Get no respect. Yeah, I know, right? Well, I don't, is it just me, guys, or every time I see a crane or a heron flying overhead, my my brain immediately just goes to. What if it's a pterosaur? What if it's yeah. a pterodactyl? They pterodactyl. look prehistoric. I, I'm always looking those, for the crest on the head. You those know? cranes. And the sharp pointed beaks. You know, it's... Yeah. They're big beaks. The they're sound not just that, the, like the little, you know, robins oh, or anything, or cardinal. The sound they make, too, when they're, like, coming down close to the water or whatever. Yeah. Like, they just sound prehistoric. Yeah. You're like, wow, that bird's crusty. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Well, thanks, Pat. A little trip to Africa there. Yeah, yeah, well, my pleasure, and it was good to be back with you boys again. Oh man, missed you like crazy. Tell you what, for real, like ugh, on mic and off the whole the whole nine yards. Just yeah, it's hard to get together sometimes. I do want to give a shout out to Jesse though for stepping in for me one time though. I yeah, do appreciate that. Yeah, no, that was a great time with Jesse. It'd be, it'd, be, it'd be fun to have a guest on again. We we haven't done that in a while. Hey, if you're listening and you have a good story, whether it's a ghost story, Bigfoot, UFO, cryptid, you name it, reach us at paranormaldads at gmail We'd love to have you on. If not in person, at least remote. And uh, we are accessible. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. And hit us up if you have suggestions for upcoming shows that you'd like to see. If you'd like to purchase stickers or a t-shirt, let us know. Eddie will ship those out to you. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, like Andy said, we're also on any any of your podcast apps. We're on those. And if there's one that you think you'd like us to be on, let us know. I gotta. There's always a new one, it seems like. It's like... Yeah, I listen to podcasts, Jim. Like podcast, Jim. What's happening now? <laughs> and so, yeah, but there's always a new app. So let us know. We're on the big ones for sure, and we can uh, love to reach more ears for sure. Just want to let everybody know to keep it just a little spooky in your life. It's a whole lot more fun. We'll talk to you guys later. See ya. Bye. With red markings like the waddles of a. a on the head and and this is a family friendly show what are you doing <laughs> i'm sorry you're gonna have to edit that out now <laughs>